Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, Kevin is talking targeting and business development with special guest William Randolph. And this episode is brought to you, as always, by Skyway Acquisition. Check out Skyway ACQ for more. All right, let's get this one started. Okay, uh, this time I want to welcome William Randolph to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Uh, I love the, the whiteboard with William sessions that you do on, on LinkedIn and actually on Facebook as well. You've got a really cool background. So as a way of getting started, tell us about yourself and, and, and how you got here. Well, thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be a part of your our podcast. I am a 1102 contracting officer by training. Uh, I spent 26 years in the in the federal space. First few years in Navy, second few, you know, about 10 years in Navy, five years in Marine Corps, and then the last eight or nine years in my, of my career in, in various DHS assignments. Wow. Department of and Homeland and Security. There it is. <laughs> We're dropping acronyms already. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> And yeah, I love that you know, you've you've got the former CEO moniker just like we do. So I've I've enjoyed some of our conversations. So let's 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 get one into the podcast here. Okay. So of, of the myriad of stuff we could talk about, <laughs> let's start with a really cool strategy that you, that you use for targeting. Um, targeting is one of my favorite topics. It's one of the most interesting things about business because you're you're never you never master you're never done right. You keep testing and refining, and and sometimes we're right with our targeting, sometimes we're wrong. But either way, we we learn that we're actively targeting to get better as businesses on on who we actually go after. So your process for targeting, which is like targeting 2.0 is you talk about hunting, fishing, and farming. So that's, that's the, the, the the William concept that we're going to dig into. I've been a student of sales for, for years. I I just like business to business sales and the complex sale. So the hunting and farming I'd heard of, I mean, hunters go after new business and farmers grow the relationships with, with the customers they have. But this this fishing part is really cool. Before we dig into that, though, tell me how you came up with this concept, like how it's become like a foundational element for you. Sure. Uh, well, I started my business in 2019, and I knew I had to go fast. My desire was to go fast. So I was looking for a business development model that matched my personality. I don't consider myself being a salesy type individual. So therefore, I was looking for a model that allowed me to do multiple things at multiple times. Uh, the hunting, fishing, and, and farming model is simply a country boy from Virginia's <laughs> way of describing a strategy that allows you to do multiple things, multiple business development and growth activities at the same time and, and to de- deliver on that ROI. So tell me more about how this, this hunting, fishing, farming model, like how the method really lays out. Sure. It, it is really a strategy for small emerging or in a, some, or at least in a growth phase of the of government contractors to understand and to interact with the market. The hunting model is simply it being opportunistic. Uh, the fishing model is being focused and deliberate in a one-to-many philosophy, a one-to-many strategy. And farming is really all about the relationships. How do you identify, plant, grow relationships, tend to them, and then they'll be harvested at some point in the future. And what's cool is that they're they're so different, but they all lead to the same the same result. That sales is a lagging indicator. Like getting new customers is a result of something. Absolutely. And the cool thing about your model is the simplicity of hunting, fishing, farming is the activities that the result of which will be getting actual new customers. Give me some of the strategies that you actually use for each of the the hunting, fishing, farming models. 
So just as the uh, uh, analogy suggests, hunting is really about identifying targets. Okay, so something comes across your your field of vision, and if it looks like something that you're interested in 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 engaging on, doing the work to 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 target and then shoot at that opportunity. That often looks like something coming across on a beta.sam saying, hey, this is a this is a source of salt or an RFI or pre-solicitation no, uh, notice that this requirement is has hit the street. Now the challenge with that is that there is a high degree of luck associated with that activity because you're a little downstream when you're first seeing, if you're first seeing something on, on beta.sam, it, it's a little late in the game. Somebody else has likely been looking at that, watching it, doing capture, may even been shaping it for, for weeks, if not months before you get an opportunity. But if it's something in your wheelhouse, I just suggest that you don't miss an opportunity to shoot on it for no other reason than it gives you an opportunity to build the business development and been in proposal muscles to respond to something in a timely fashion. Fishing is truly a one-to-many model. Okay, so it's how many times can you tell your story, tell your value proposition, or share your value proposition, and why you have expertise in the space, and why someone would want to do business with you in a one-to-many scenario. This is this could be podcast. This could be um, this could be blog posts. There could be posts on LinkedIn. This could be speaking engagements or webinars. Whatever method allows you to have a one-to-many approach to uh, to getting in front of people, getting engaged with them, and demonstrating your value. Farming is really the culminating activity after your hunting and fishing. You will build relationships. In your hunting and fishing, or you will be identified, you will create relationships. That farming activity is keeping those relationships warm and cultivated. Okay. Because at some point in the future, if those relationships are, are cultivated and, and you are mining and tending to those relationships, those relationships will deliver an ROI back to you because then you have other people hunting and fishing for you. So the hunting is more reactionary, but you still need it. The fishing is right at the edge of opportunity, and then the farming is way upstream. You got it. So it's really kind of the, the timeline. So the hunting, fishing, farming is is the timeline is inverse to that. Yes, it, that's what I love the simplicity of this. When we first talked about it, is it helps people understand that you can't just hunt, or you're only living on 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 luck, right? Got you it. can't just fish, or you're you're not going to have enough exposure and understanding actually how to bid and win work, and you can't just farm, or it just takes too long. Yes. <laughs> you got to have yes. all three. Yeah. You'll have tons of friends, but you'll never get any work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's funny and, and frustrating. Okay. So, so what makes this so effective? What really makes it work? So I think it is active. It is, it's active on multiple levels. Here's what I believe. The, the if you build it, they will come model only works in the movies. Yeah. Okay. That's so you have, yes. So you have to let people know one, you exist as a company. Two, you have a value proposition. And three, you're interested in delivering it in some fashion to the marketplace. These three strategies allow you to do three levels of activity. Reactionary, you know, it's like opportunistic and reactionary. It's more, another level that's very methodical and thoughtful. And then a third that is long range, that is really about the re- honing and fostering the relationships 
and and realizing that it's often a give, 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 and you don't know when the return is coming, but that you give to the relationship, you build a relationship and you demonstrate value in the relationship and the relationship will then provide you an ROI in the business. And it's interesting that the farming element of the three has the most most of a you know, faith element to it. It's like you just have to have faith; these relationships are going to work out. Absolutely. And it takes a long time. <laughs> that's, it, but again, it, that's why you get the timeline. With, with you have it, to have a timeline with each one of them. Uh, Kevin, it absolutely does. In the end, and I'm sure you've heard this multiple times, and I've heard it multiple times, and I didn't really understand it that people do business with people they like, they like. know, and trust. Yep. Okay, and that, and and even in the in the optimum meritocracy that is federal procurement, okay, that it's, that it's an effective turn of the acquisition crank that no matter what goes in, if we have a good turn, what, what comes out is good, that machinery is still operated by humans. Yeah. And as a result of that, humans do business with people they like, know, and trust. Yeah, it's the, uh, the 80-20 rule. We talk about, I don't know, multiple episodes. If it's 80% process, 20% relationship. Some things are 20% process and 80% relationship, but there's always a balance Yes. and understanding what that balance is. And it's been interesting to me just from talking to, I have an episode coming up in a, hopefully in a few months uh, with somebody who worked in a, in a very small agency where they only use FAR Part 13. And for him, it's like 80% relationship, but there's yeah. still a process, but it's so much relationship. And then those of us that even bought major systems, you still had that relationship piece. It's like you had to be able to Trust these people could actually deliver. So these concepts of hunting, fishing, farming, they apply everywhere. I love the simplicity of it, but also the broad effectiveness of it. So, so when, let's, I'm going to talk time zones. We can't, we can't have a podcast episode without digging in the acquisition and execution time zones. Uh, and if you're new to the podcast, episode number three is where we cover the acquisition time zones. And episode number 84 is where we cover the execution time zones, if you're not familiar with this. So in the acquisition time zones, what we're talking about the, the, the fishing and farming and hunting, it's going to be mostly apparent in the requirement zones in different ratios during that window, but they're going to be in the requirement zone because the, the government needs to understand what can be done, right? Likewise, in the market research zone, who can do it? That's where the fishing and the relationships come up because you got to be able to say, the government needs to be able to say, yes, they can do this. And I'm also going to touch on the execution time zones is during the performance zone. During the performance zone is where you're doing the work. And that's where the farming really kicks in because now you've got past performance. You've got evidence. You can actually do this. You've, you've built relationships, not only with government customers, but also with potentially with teammates. They now know you can do this, but the time zones really help people understand when this is important. And to your point, it's very much a balance of things that are way upstream as well as things that are right in front of you. Yes. Yeah. I, I just truly believe we have to tackle them all. We have to be working in all zones. I, I really like your language around uh, the, re the requirements zone from a standpoint of this is where your ability to become top of mind with your government buyers and users, that's where that starts paying dividends because then they can advocate for you. Imagine when uh, acquisition strategy, people are around the table or on a Zoom and they're thinking about what contract vehicle to use for the requirement. If you have become top of mind and you are not and they know of you, would do you think they would select a contract vehicle that you couldn't play on? Exactly. They're going to figure out which contract vehicle you're on. Exactly. 
Exactly. That's that's the ROI. Now, you do have to go as an individual government contractor. You have to go and win the work. Okay, so no one's giving anything away. But you win when when you can have your government buyers and users advocate for you and put you in positions where you can effectively compete. Yeah, we talk a lot about the, the all contracts are competed in some way. It's just that sometimes the competition is happening long before or, or instead of an RFP. <laughs> You got it. And, you and, got and it. that's happening from the combination of hunting, fishing, farming. When do you see this being the most effective from, from the, the industry, from the seller, the small business's perspective? I think it's most effective all the time. Okay. And again, <laughs> we talk about layers. So there's one layer that's extremely opportunistic. You know, if something comes across your path and you shoot on it and hopefully you have the you have the, the capability and the muscle memory and all the activity and the capacity to take it down. But it's extremely opportunistic, high degrees of luck in it. But it's that happens. That opportunity happens uh, at times. The second is deliberate from a standpoint of one to many. Those conversations as a small business, we don't have the luxury of doing one to one. There's not enough hours in the day to have one to one hour conversations with, you know, if you have 24 people, when are you going to sleep? If you on the day you want to talk to 24 people hour to hour. But imagine if you took that one hour and talk from one to 24 people, you could talk to 24 people at one time. That is a that's an ROI on your time that far exceeds the ability to do one on one conversation. So the ability to demonstrate value is a way for you to say from one to many, we're going to be deliberate, intentional and, and deliberate in our communications. And from a, in, from being uh, in a farming perspective and being most effective, that's a continual activity. You know, to your point, someone may land something eight years later from a seed that was planted eight years ago. Okay, it just happens that way. So if you disregard the planting of relationship seeds and tending those crops, you're missing out on, my opinion, a third of the layer that, that will eventually turn into ROI for your business down the road. Well, and what's really cool about the farming element is the compounding piece of it. Is that yes. it, like t- again, ten years into business, I'm starting to really feel that compounding impact of yeah. ten years of farming. <laughs> Just amazing yeah. how that works. And, and, and Kevin, you, when you think about it, the compounding effect of farming, it's also a compounding effect of all three layers. Everything yeah. that you hunt on, whether you're successful in taking it down or not, becomes an opportunity for you to fish with them. Okay. Yeah. And every every time you have an opportunity to fish, you're actually creating relationships. The result of the fishing is relationships. Okay. And then you take the relationships and come down to farm and cultivate them. And then that's where the ROI, if it doesn't, if the ROI doesn't show up in level one or level two, at some point it will show up in level three. But it basically works like a flywheel. Because the farming then creates better opportunities that you then go hunt. You got it. You said it earlier about building past performance. And once you're able to build past performance, you're in the acquisition zone. Okay. Yep. Okay. As soon as you have past performance, now you get to play a different game. While I still think hunting, fishing, and farming are important, the more past performance you have, the better hunter you become. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you know what to shoot at. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. You, you know what hunting season is even open for that matter. Exactly. 
we wouldn't be true to our podcast listeners if, if we didn't consider the, the, the portion of them who are government folks. So we'll, we'll do our why does government care segment on this, right? And so I get this is we're talking about business development and creating opportunities. And so as a contracting officer, I guess I really didn't care per se because I didn't understand that these elements were there, right? I didn't think about whether someone was hunting, fishing, or farming. But in retrospect, I, I clearly can see the difference. And I can see the difference in the value. And so, so for example, hunters were, were business development folks who would be walking around my, my agency trying to build a, relationships with us. And I actively avoided them as a contracting officer. <laughs> Is that in reality, if I don't have, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, contracting officer doesn't have the requirement. Contracting officer doesn't have the money. Contracting officer stitches together the, the person who can deliver with the person who needs it, right? So until there's a, a need and, and money to pay for it, having a conversation with a, with a BD person is not very effective. So is that yeah. your experience? Kevin, my same experience. I, I distinctly remember there were times when I was literally shields up from a standpoint of communications is that I am the keeper of the process. Okay. And that I would do yeah. nothing. I would do nothing that would interject risk into the effective turn of the process. Okay. So therefore, if it was an errant communication, if it was a happy hour, it's like, nope, I don't want to be bothered. Okay. I don't want to do any of that stuff because it was always a fear that those activities or those communication moments could somehow come back and interject risk into your acquisition. Yeah, it, it, well said. <laughs> I remember skipping many a happy hour for that reason. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And the shields up is just a great metaphor for it. So then people who are fishing, and we're talking about marketing, we're talking about product samples, we're talking about information about it, and like a, a lot of market research that we talked about uh, during the market research zone. And so as a contracting officer, there are a couple scenarios where I would get a product that get using the, I didn't think of it as one to many, but that's what they were doing. They're bringing this product to my, to my agency. And as a contracting officer on this program, but we had a bunch of evaluators and users that we get a product. And if they got the product for free, there's a document we had to go back and forth. And we told them, we're probably going to destroy this thing. You're not going to get it back. You know, you're not getting paid for this, all that kind of stuff. That was my role. But that was somebody who had targeted, they had a, an overall, I guess, understanding is the best way to say it, of what the customer needed and I became the conduit to take that fishing, that line of, of you know, the debate, basically, and come up with the process. Like you said, we own the process to be able to hand it to the users and let them do whatever they want with it and realize there's no risk of, in this case, it did actually get destroyed. Absolutely. And that's, that's a good amount I of think, money. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I think the government, the government should care, okay, from a standpoint of one to many. Because what this does is the more companies you have that are deploying this one-to-many strategy, it's just actually building your body of market intelligence, whatever you're, whether on a program or in your space or for your agency or department, the more information you have, the, the better questions you can ask, therefore you get better answers. Okay, so therefore, the more information you have is the greater and the more depth of your market intelligence that allows you to ask better questions when it's market research time, then, then the solutions come back informed by these levels of, of, of knowledge of information that is just shared, you know, on a, in a one-to-many environment, in, in a farm, in a, excuse me, in a fishing environment. And here's the challenge, and I don't want to dive too deep here, but we often get those better questions late in the process, and it forces us to go back upstream. Yep. Imagine if we could have got those questions asked early 
and had answers for them, we could have baked them in. And then our solutions would be available, solutions would be available that considers those questions. It's often we get the questions at the proposal evaluation times like, crap, I didn't think about that. Do we got to go back? You know, it's at the wrong time. So the earlier we can ask good questions, the, the better. No, it's so funny. I'm not the only one that's had that experience. That's so good. <laughs> okay, so so I, again, putting on my contracting officer hat, and, and and farmers were folks who were working from the inside out. Like this is the incumbent working to build more relationships, making sure that they're delivering well. They're compounding their past performance, and then they even stayed in contact with me after they moved off of the particular program, or when we, in some cases, when we competed a contract that they didn't actually win, but they were still with us for 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 other projects. They would follow up with me every three months or so. And they're focused on building off of their delivery to ending the relationship. Yeah, it's it's really an extension of any hunting and fishing activities that once you land some work, there's still a relationship that needs to be built. There is there is performance to be done and there are relationships to be built. If you do the performance without the relationships, that won't last long. If you do the relationships without the performance, that won't last long. It definitely won't last long. (laughs) It is both. It is both. So that hunt, that's why, the, in my opinion, that's why the government should care about that activity is that you're literally building trusted agents that you can have compelling conversations with. And those compelling conversations then start taking you down the, the strategy of asking better questions and getting better answers. Yeah, the, the things I wish I knew as a contracting officer. <laughs> so so let's, let's go back to the industry side. So, you know, why, why does industry care about this? Well, obviously to generate uh, uh, new opportunities and, and build on the ones that they have. But like you said, they need all three, right? So, so talk me through, like, how do you do it? How do you, how does, how does Think Acquisition do all three of these? It is truly a strategic and tactical use of the same clock. Okay, when I think about it, like I have the same 24 hours, how much of these three things can I do in one day? So hunting looks like, research on beta, having a crawler on beta.sam.gov that's identifying RFI, source of salt, pre-solicitation notices that I can go participate in and that I can shoot on. It's opportunistic, but that is a body of, that's a body of activity that needs to occur. That if I ignore that, the short-term activity, the short-term ROIs, I lose out on those RO, on those short-term ROIs. So it's, it's simply looking or having things pushed to me, you know, and people use GovWin or Deltec or whatever, whatever the other various uh, tools are that allow them to get short-term looks at opportunities. That's how it looks for me. That's how I deploy hunting. Fishing is my opportunity to get in front of as many people as possible. And I learned this piece when I was at the NCMA World Congress that went 100% virtual uh, earlier in 2020. I had I had spoke at the World Congress the year before, and I think I probably had about 50 or 60 people in the room. When I did the virtual version of that a year later, I had 678 people in the room. <laughs> and go. what I... And what I learned was after the 678 people, I had a slide in the back of my presentation that says, hey, if you're if you're on LinkedIn, you know, connect with me. If you're not on LinkedIn, you should be on LinkedIn and then connect with me. After the presentation, and it was almost immediate, my phone started, 
And I literally had probably one quarter, it was like one in four of those 678 people in the next two or three days, I had over a, about 150, 160 notifications for people wanting to connect with me. And then a smaller subset of those people was like, I love what you did there. Could you do this for my organization? Could you pick a topic and do this for my organization? And I was sold. I was like, fishing works. This one to many. So even at, so after that point, part of my job and part of my responsibility as a business owner is every week, how can I get into in front of 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 people to demonstrate competency in the space, credibility on the subject matter, and my willingness to be a participant in the marketplace. That's what fishing looks like looks like for me. And then what farming looks like is really the, the result of one of those fishing moments. I, I spoke at a at a business development conference that was in Huntsville. So the team was in Huntsville, it was virtual. And I met a person that was in the training and development space on that call. She reached out, connected on LinkedIn, and we just started sharing some things in our space because we share we share the, the training and development space. She does it on a different area and I'm in the contracts and, and acquisition level, I mean, acquisition vertical. And we would share some, point, something would come up or an article or something and we would share. And then about four months ago, this individual contacted me and said, hey, William, I'm, I'm on a team and we're solutioning this body of work, pretty large body of work. And, and there's the, the seventh category of work that is acquisition support. None of us know what that means, but that's what you do, right? And I was like, yes, that is, by the way, that is what I do. So I was with with one phone call. I was invited to the primes team. Okay, met the met all the subs, met the team, and was invited to go to market with a company that I would have one never seen the opportunity. It was too big on its own for a four person company like me to go after. Okay, but when someone looks at it and identifies one of seven line of one of seven pieces of, of bodies of pieces of work that is right in my swim lane. I get invited to the dance and I get an opportunity to go to the prom with a team. Okay. <laughs> and that all emanated from a free fishing moment, having a conversation and a business development presentation with a group down in Huntsville. Well, and it's very cool how they, they create different opportunities. I mean, that's because if, if you're looking on FBO, you're not going to see those. No. Um, if you're only, and if you're only doing NCMA free presentations, you're going to make a lot of connections, but they might not go anywhere. So you're always balancing all this out. And then the, the thing I love about that, that networking story is that when, when they send you the link and say, hey, we've, we've been shaping this, by the way, here's the RFI, you know what that you know how to manage all that. Well, you yes. wouldn't have learned how to manage all that if you hadn't been doing the, the hunting. So you got to do all three. So. Yes, and it's warm. That's the thing about it. It's warm. This isn't a cold call. When someone yes. calls you like that, it's, it's not only warm, it's piping hot. They just wait for you to put your name on the team in agreement. The, the thing about the, the fishing is that on any given fishing moment, the person may not have pain, okay? They just may be enjoying your content. But there's going to be a day they wake up with a headache, a backache, a toothache, and it's like, ooh, I know this guy that sells Tylenol, you know? <laughs> so that's when the connection's made. So it might take 12 months or 50 podcasts or four years, or 12 Christmas cards, whatever that model looks like 
that you're cultivating those relationships, when the pain shows up, all you want to make sure that they know is that you sell Tylenol. Well, and, and the beauty of this is that you, you on top of all of this, you still have to target. You mentioned your vertical is, is, is government acquisition. And I guess it, one of your verticals is also leadership within that. Yes. So you have like you have this niche. And it's very important, just like our niche. It's like we, we don't go outside of the lanes of government contracting. In fact, we, we stay at the ground level. That's kind of our strategy is our podcast content. We're going over specific examples of how to do this. When we take this idea of hunting, fishing, farming, it's within the bubble of what are you really good at? What is the, what is the targeted strategy? And that's really why it works on so well. Because if, if, we, if you and I decided we wanted to start selling cars tomorrow, we wouldn't be nearly as good at it. It would be tough. It'll be yeah. tough. We could go on for hours here. So let's wrap this up with how do people get a hold of you? And what, what is like, describe your perfect vertical. If somebody needs X, they should call William. So th- thank you. So I, I have planted my social media flag, if you will, on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn, William Randolph, you can find me, find me there. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, which is William's Whiteboard. I, I, all the posts start on LinkedIn, but then they find their way to YouTube. Uh, my verticals, and I probably have two on the government contracting side. So, government federal facing, uh, it is acquisition training, development, and uh, contracts, program management, and leadership. So I do training, uh, all virtual now, in that vertical to to the federal government. My industry facing side is uh, small business govcon support in the areas of marketing, branding, uh, strategy, and segmentation. So what I, what I mean by segmentation is taking the data and looking at the data and saying, based on what markets you want to be in, what NAICS codes you are you sell in or you want to offer in, let's go look at the universe of government contracts. Let's, let's put the shotgun away. Let's go get data. Let's identify targets and give you a rifle. Okay, so that's where we're that's what we're focused on in that space. We want to give people a clear way of uh, determining value uh, that is focused on the on the government contracting side. Well, and one of the things I love about our relationship is that that you are just before us. Like the customers we focus on are the ones that they've gotten their first contract. They, they're getting an email from the contracting officer and they're like, what the heck do I do with this? Right. They're trying to build that relationship for the next one. They're trying to you know, write a bigger proposal, like the, the growth strategy that comes after they've gotten help from you. So you and I are, it's kind of cool that we, we're very complimentary. So it's, yeah, I like that. I like that as well. You. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So until next time, this is awesome. <laughs> I will see you around, William. Take care. Thank you so much, Kevin. That's it for today's episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. As Kevin described, when you're ready to build your relationship with Skyway's team of former contracting officers for training and custom consulting support, go to skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280. We'll see you next week.